0: Our guest today, Joni Gomo, owes her long nursing career and work with hospice to a remarkable NDE when she was 15. For as long as she can remember, Joni has had otherworldly experiences, beginning with an out-of-body experience at around age five or six, and numerous after-death communications after that. At five, she told her uncle, I can't wait to go to heaven. When at 14, she lost a beloved grandpa one night, she heard a knock on the door and through the peephole saw an angel. Joni, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you. Well, Joni, folks will want to hear more about that angel, but let's start with your OBE at five and any other events that uh, you might have had when you were young.
1: That experience at five is the earliest that I can remember anything like this ever happening to me. And I remember laying in my bed And all of a sudden feeling that I was getting smaller and smaller and smaller and everything about me was whooshing away. I was zooming backwards out of my bed, out of my house, out into space. And everything was so small and tiny. And all of a sudden I'm in this dark place. I wasn't scared at all, but I was a little startled and I took a deep breath and went, (gasps) you know kind of like you do when you're when you're startled and all of a sudden i was back in my bed and back in my body and that's the first i remember anything ever unusual like that happening to me and and until i was until i was older
0: did you have any uh, other experiences like that uh, before the before age 14 15
1: not where i felt like i left my body like that that has uh-huh. not happened again that i'm consciously aware of um around 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 that same age i also became i don't know where this came from but i came completely obsessed with heaven and and what happens after we die and I, i remember feeling very excited about it and look like heaven was a good thing and a good place to go and I recall my uncle coming over one day and I was so excited to tell him how I couldn't wait to go to heaven one day. I couldn't wait. It was about five or six. And I remember feeling like he was so uh, concerned that I would say something like that. He was like, Oh no, 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 you're not going to heaven for a long time. And you know, don't talk like that. Don't talk like that. And I remember feeling a little deflated a bit like, Oh, that's not a good thing. So I, I stopped talking about it after that. I I realized that not everybody felt that way or thought like that. So I didn't really talk about it much after that.
0: Were you being raised in any particular religion?
1: Well, I'm a mixed religion person. I was christened as a baby in the Presbyterian church. Later, we moved to the Baptist church. And then later in adulthood, I, you know, played around with Catholicism a little bit. So I've done a little bit of everything, but our family wasn't particularly religious. Um, I went to Sunday school here and there irregularly, but it wasn't consistent with our family growing up.
0: Did you connect that religious training at all with your ideas about heaven and, and your desire to be there?
1: No, no connection with that at all. I don't really know where that comes from. Maybe it comes from something that I had forgotten about or, you know, something that I outgrew and no longer remembered. I don't I'm not sure where it comes from, but I've always had for as long as I can remember, right back down to four, five, six years old, being very interested in heaven and otherworldly things.
0: You mentioned having had after death communications. Did any of that happen prior to your teenage experience?
1: No, not that I remember. The very first time that ever happened was the eve of my 15th birthday. And that is the one that I consider life-changing, you know, as life-changing as it could be at 14, 15 years old.
0: Why don't you go on and tell us that story? That's an amazing story.
1: Well, I was very close to my grandfather and my grandparents in general. And when he got very sick and died, it just threw me for a loop. I didn't know. This is the first time that I really had to think about, well, what really happens when we die? Where do we really go after, after this life? And, and it, and it, it scared me. And I found myself every night when my, I would wait up until my parents fell asleep and then I would take a blanket and a pillow and I'd snuck, snuck into their bedroom And made a bed on the floor at the foot of their bed because I was scared. I don't really know what I was scared of. I just was a little freaked out by the whole death thing. And that went on for about two weeks. And then one night I'm laying in my bed waiting for my parents to fall asleep so I could continue my little charade, you know. And all of a sudden I I wake up to the sound of a knock on the door. And I'm like, oh, wow, I must have fallen asleep. So I got up. And I went out to the living room. I wasn't scared that somebody was knocking at two in the morning, but I got out, looked through the peephole in the door. And on the other side of that peephole was an angel standing there. And I remember feeling, wow, oh my gosh, what is this? And he spoke telepathically to me and he, he was, he said, I'm going to take you where your grandfather is so that you can see him and you don't have to be so afraid anymore. And what was so amazing about him is he looked to be around the age of 18 years old, a couple years older than me. He was clean cut, blonde hair, bright blue eyes, and he had a light shining down on him from somewhere. I couldn't see the source of the light, but he looked like there was a light shining down on him. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing, you know, but he, he And as soon as he said, let me show you where your grandfather is. I'm going to take you to him. All I I had to do was blink. And we were all of a sudden standing in front of this wall. And it was a, a big, opaque glass wall, as tall as you could see and as far to each side as you could see. And I couldn't see on the other side of it. But I turned back around from the wall to look at him and he was gone. And now there was just a lady standing there, plain lady in a brown plain dress standing there. And she told me the same thing. Also through telepathy, let's go find your grandfather. So we start walking. We're walking, walking off to the left, way off into the distance. There's a bo- big body of water over there. Mm-hmm. And it. I always describe it. The sun shining down on water. It looks like there's diamonds floating on the water. That's exactly what it looked like. We're walking through this meadow. And as we're walking, I noticed that the the blades of grass are so astonishing. Because they each single blade of grass looks like it's lit from within. And like it has its own soul, its own life of its own. And I was so mesmerized by the just the, the look of the grass. It kind of reminded me when I say that they were lit, each blade of grass looked like one of those 1970s fiber optic lights that everybody had back in the day. It, they all looked like that. And I remember thinking, this is so weird. I feel so odd stepping on this, but it popped back up as soon as you stepped on it. But we're walking through this field, walking through this field and all of a sudden off to my right, I see a little wooden footbridge And way far in the distance off to my right, there's a big, giant, golden castle. And I felt inexplicably pulled to cross that footbridge and walk across that bridge towards that castle. And the lady who was walking with me put her hand on my shoulder from behind. And the second she did, the urge to cross that bridge was gone. And she said, you can't cross that bridge yet because it's not yet your time. And so with that, that urge disappeared and we continued walking on toward the lake off to the left. We eventually get up to the shore of the water and I noticed on the other side of the lake a young, healthy, strong, shirtless man about 30 years old is sailing on a sailboat, just peacefully sailing back and forth on a sailboat. And then it struck me and I knew that that was my grandfather and he was healthy and young, muscular, tanned, like any other 30 year old. Only he was 82 years old when he died. But somehow I knew that this was my grandfather and I was able to spend some time with him there and not talking. We were, for some reason, we weren't allowed to speak to each other, but he knew I was there. And I knew that he knew I was there. And so we had this kind of shared space for, for these beautiful moments. And it was gorgeous. It brings me to tears even today, because I know that that was something very special. And I know that he gave that to me after the time was up and we and it was time for me to go the lady reappeared and she said this this was from your grandfather you'll always know that this was a gift from him and we turned and we walked back towards that glass wall before i woke up i i remember thinking to myself, okay, I know I'm in heaven. I know I'm in heaven. I've always said to myself, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask, why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why do all these bad things happen? Well, before I could even get any of my questions out, I had instant answers. And in fact, I had answers to every question I ever had. It's almost like I was suddenly infused with this all knowing, all knowledge of everything. And it was amazing. And I, and I, and I had this feeling of, oh, this is how it works. You know, that kind of feeling of amazed understanding. (laughs) And I also, I also got the, the instant knowledge that everything happens for a reason. And there is no reason to worry about anything, there's no reason to to fear anything, even when bad things happen, just know it's all part of a greater divine plan, and I, I, I was able to keep that knowledge, you know, that everything happens for a reason, but I wasn't able to keep all the other knowledge that downloaded into me, and I had in that instant when I was there. I remember the feeling of having that. But I wasn't able to keep all of that. And with that, we walked to the glass wall and the lady said to me, again, not with words. It was all telepathy. She said, when you wake up, you will know that this was a very special gift. And you're going to wake up and it's going to be your 15th birthday. And you'll remember this the rest of your life. With that, I sat up in my bed and I sobbed it still moves me to this day it was so real and i know for a fact it was un un undoubtable that i was in that heavenly place with my grandfather and i saw him Mm -hmm. and he truly sent for me and i woke up sobbing in my bed on my 15th birthday (laughs) and I just, I just, it when it was not sobs of grief or anything like that. It was sobs of relief because I realized in that moment that I have zero fear of death. I none. And I knew that I would never have that fear ever return to me ever again. And I never have. I've never feared death. I fear maybe any associated pain that might accompany my death, but I don't fear death itself because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know exactly where I'm going and where we all go at that Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. But I called my mom in the midst of my tears. She worked five minutes away and I quickly had to reassure her that everything was fine. I was fine. I was crying so hard on the phone. I told her it was good news and she came right home and I told her the story and she said, let's go. Tell your grandmother, we need to tell her about this. So we went over to my grandmother's house and I told her all of this and and she listened. And then she said, I want you to go up in the attic. There's some old boxes up there with some old photo albums in them and bring that box down. So I brought that box down from the attic. And she has me flip through all these albums of these pictures from old Europe early 1900s, you know, in Europe, and I've never seen these photograms before, but I'm like, what am I looking for? Flipping, flipping, flipping. She says, you'll know it when you come to it. Well, all of a sudden I flipped to a page and probably the last photo album I'd flipped through. And there was my grandfather in his thirties on a sailboat. I never even knew that he sailed. I never even knew that, that side of him. And it was just so amazing to me to see that picture because it was the very thing I had seen in that experience when I visited heaven and saw my grandfather there. And he was young and 30. You know, he was 82 when he died. And here was this picture of him in his 30s. The interesting thing is, is that all these years later, I ended up marrying a sailboater. My my husband today (laughs) is a sailboater. Um, the other thing that I, I wanted to mention is when I told my mom this story, she, she hesitated telling me this, but it turns out after I told her that about that experience, she said, well, I didn't want to tell you this because I didn't want it to upset you. But today, your birthday is the day that his ashes are being scattered. We had sent them to California to my uncle. And his ashes were scattered that day on my birthday my mom didn't want to tell me because she did she was afraid it would upset me mm. but I was so I was so honored that we shared that that scattering of his ashes on my birthday you know turned out to be a really good thing
0: right Wow did you tell other people about this as well as your mom and grandma
1: um I tried to tell a couple of friends at that age not long after it happened but i kind of got the feeling that they really couldn't relate and i you know i didn't want i realized when i did that that this was something very sacred and that i should keep it close to the vest and not really share it with a whole lot of people Mm. so i didn't share it except for close friends and family until I got much older. Yeah. And as I got older, I started to share it with a select few. I would feel learn how to feel people out and know who I could and couldn't share it with. But that experience actually led me to have a, a strong desire to be around people who were maybe facing life-limiting illnesses, terminal illnesses, where they may not live. I felt very drawn to that. And so shortly after that experience, I signed up as a teenage volunteer at my local hospice. And I actually worked there as a volunteer right on up through the rest of high school and the rest of into the, all through nursing school, I knew I knew that experience is what led me to go to nursing school. And then my very first job straight out of nursing school was in that very same hospice. And, you know, it was it's been a incredibly rewarding career because over the years I share I did share my story with many patients and families because it it brought them comfort.
0: Talk about some of the uh, stories of hospice patients who've had visions and experiences of their own.
1: I've had quite a few patients who over the years would, you know, in the medical community, I guess it depends on where you are, how open people are to this kind of thing or not. But more often than not, when patients have what's known as deathbed visions, it's kind of it's kind of written off as they're hallucinating or, you know, maybe they need a little sedation or, you know, just go with it. But for me, when that happened, I always would quietly close the door. So I had that private moment with my patient and I would ask them about their vision. They, many of them, very often it's a mother that they would see. They would talk about seeing their mother or a parent or a mother figure who was in the room with them and I would always let them talk about it. And I would ask them questions about it, but my own father saw his father. I was with him when he died. And he even said, you know, he sat up after being, you know, pretty much unconscious for a few days before his death, he sat up and he pointed to the ceiling and he said, there's dad. He's coming to pick me up in that old Cadillac. (laughs) And I, Without a doubt, I know that my dad was picked up and brought to heaven by his dad in that old Cadillac that he talked about. You know, he actually died with a smile on his face, and I know his dad picked him up. Just like I know my patients who saw their family members, I I know that they were escorted.
0: It's often expressed by people who listen to the show that they would love to have a near death experience, but do not want to come close to dying in the process. One of the ways that they can learn about death and learn about visions of the other side is to become a volunteer as you did in hospice work.
1: Yeah. It was pretty amazing to be a volunteer, but it was even more amazing to have the honor of holding vigil for people that were dying, that were actively dying. You know, it's because, and I, and I think I told you about this is, you know, Many times a patient will want to talk about their impending death, but when they reach out to a significant other, very often, you know, the significant other will be like, oh, yeah, don't, we don't have to talk about that. Or, you know, let's not talk about that. Not all the time, but sometimes they're afraid to talk about it because they're afraid it will speed things up or something. So when the significant other leaves and goes home for the day or goes to the cafeteria, the person that they will reach out to is very often the nurse. Mm -hmm. And it has been incredibly a huge honor to be that person that the patient will talk to about that. And so in those situations, I would share my story and it often brought comfort to the patient, you know, and I got many hugs sharing that story. And and sometimes I would share it with the family, too, if I felt like they would be open to it. Yeah. And more often than not than not, they were. And it was it's been it's been an incredible career to to share that that very intimate time with patients before yeah. they passed away and their families.
0: Been my experience, that nurses are much more understanding of NDEs and similar experiences that their patients are having than the doctors, but even more so for hospice nurses because they see it so often and are in sympathy with it and can support a patient who suddenly sees a deceased relative coming to help them go home.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's been pretty incredible.
0: Now you had uh, an experience with your, I think you called it repairing the relationship with your father.
1: Yes, I did. Tell Um, us
0: about that. This is after he had passed.
1: This was after he had passed. So a little background on that. My dad was not a big part of my life. He didn't come to school plays, dance recitals, graduations, weddings. He didn't do any of that. He wasn't a, an active participant in my life. My stepfather filled that role for me. So when he was dying of cancer, it was I felt it was my duty to go to his bedside because I was still his daughter. So I was there when he died and went through the motions with the family after the fact, and then went home and finished my life. And about 10 years after he passed away, I had a similar experience with him that I had with my grandfather. There I was, we were in our house and it was, again, it was took the form of a dream, but I knew that it was much more than that. I, I was out, taking hamburgers out to our grill for my husband to grill. And I remember walking out there and seeing the red grill, the green grass, the black and white soccer ball in the backyard. But there on the deck, sitting on the railing was my dad, but he was completely black and white, like an old Laurel and Hardy movie. He was sitting on the deck and I felt, I I remember I've always had lucid dreams and, and in this moment, I said to myself, okay, Joni, this is your chance to tell him everything you never got to tell him about what a disappointment he was and how he wasn't there for you. So I ripped him up one side and down the other. And I basically let him have it for not being a part of my life. And then I had a split second of, oh gosh, he's going to be so mad at me. But instead what came out of his mouth was, you're right, Joni, I wasn't there for you. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't a father I wasn't any kind of a father at all but I want you to know that on this side I am your father and I am looking out for you and I am there for you and with that I woke up and again just sobs because I knew this was one of those moments this wasn't just a dream this was an actual communication and I just sobbed and my husband is like what is wrong and I explained to him what happened and that I had just had closure with my dad. I had just repaired my relationship with my dad. All the years of him not being a part of my life, it just all fell away in that moment because we had repaired that relationship. He came back and apologized and it was amazing.
0: Have you heard from him since then?
1: Not from him. I've had that experience with a couple of other people. I've had it happen with a couple of patients and a couple of good friends, but I have not heard from my dad again. No, but I know he's there. I don't doubt that at all. Wow.
0: Now you've had after death communications with others. Tell us about that.
1: Yes, I feel very blessed to be able to have these experiences. They are spontaneous. I don't know when they're going to happen, but they always happen in my dreams. And I can always tell that it's a communication dream and not a regular dream because it's regular dreams are just disjointed and don't really make a lot of sense. These kinds of dreams, they're different because they leave you feeling different and you know that you've had a communication. This particular friend of mine, Kevin, died suddenly and tragically in his 40s. He was my best friend from the age of 10 up. We grew up together. We were later roommates together. I introduced him to his then wife. We had children and raised our children together. And I went through a divorce during that period of time. And he stepped in as kind of a father figure for my kids. And so my kids grew very close to him also. So when he died, it really shook everybody up. One particular night I had gone to bed and I was dreaming that I was scrubbing out my shower floor. And when I looked up, there was Kevin standing there and I dropped the sponge and I just ran to him and I hugged him tightly. And I still feel, and I felt it then. I felt the cables in his cable knit sweater on my face because I had my face smushed into his chest. And I remember thinking, Joni, take a deep breath and remember his smell. And I took a big, deep breath in, and I smelled his 1980s dracar cologne. And I felt that cable, and I know it was that cream-colored cable sweater. And I just hugged him and clung to him for so long. And then I said, Kevin, what are you doing here? And he pulled me back and held me by the shoulders, and he said, I'm always here. I never left. I'm always right here. (laughs) And it was so reassuring because I realized, well, he really is right here all the time. And and that was amazing. And, you know, I I know that that was Kevin coming to tell me he's here. Well, just that I heard from him again, just maybe a week or so ago, same exact thing. Only this time I was in the linen closet folding some linens. And when I turned there, he was again in that same cream colored sweater. And I just, again, threw my arms around him, felt that sweater, smelled his cologne. And I said, I just want you to know that I miss you and I love you. And he said, I love you too, but I'm still always right here. I'm right here. Like he was reassuring me, like maybe I just needed to hear it one more time that he's right here and he never left. And so. I feel so honored that that happened a second time with him and only just before speaking to you for the first time. So I'm glad I could include his second visit. Maybe he just wanted a little more um, notoriety on this podcast or something.
0: <laughs> well, if that's the reason, uh, thank you, Kevin. I'm, I'm glad you joined us. Now, when you hug him, I mean, you're awake. This is not a dream.
1: It is a dream, but okay. I feel him completely. So,
0: okay. So this is... That's that's that was my question. It feels like you're hugging a real human body.
1: Oh, absolutely. I know for a fact I hugged him without okay. without a doubt. I know that I did.
0: Okay. And I think you said that you felt him sort of with you at other times as well.
1: Yes. I
0: While you are awake.
1: The, yes, a couple of years ago, I got a wild hair and decided I was going to run a marathon. So, that is That is grueling training. It's about six months of training and I am not a runner, (laughs) but Hmm. I, I wanted to do this. This was one of my goals. So I started training and running races and it was horrible and I hate every minute of it. It's just off. I'm not a runner and I don't enjoy running. I enjoy finishing. That was my thing. So I discovered very early in the training that when I'm running, I sense Kevin with me right back here behind on the left side of my head. I I know he's there. And I visualize him in my mind's eye and I see him standing there with his thumbs in his jeans pockets like he always used to stand, giving me crap about how how rotten I'm running and just like a brother would do like he did in life, you (laughs) know, and I and I remember him saying, that's all you got come on, you can't do any better than that. And he would kind of, he would kind of egg me on to continue running and finish my training and get through whatever race I was running. And, you know, people would often ask me, oh my gosh, you, you love running. You're always running. You're always doing this. And I was like, no, I really don't love running. And sometimes people would say, well, then why do you do it? And it's because I run with, I run with my angels and he's always there harassing me like he used to. And I hear him and I know he's there. I feel him there. Mm -hmm. And then over here on my right side is often my friend, Terry, who passed away young. Terry was a running coach. And when I decided I was going to start running, I enlisted her help. Ironically, she at the time she started helping me. She had lost a lung to lung cancer and she was on chemo treatments, but she still coached me through my very first runs, even despite all that. And so sometimes Kevin's always the one that comes through when I'm running, but sometimes Terry is there too. And it, it's just amazing to, to have them when I'm running and I don't run so much anymore You know, I've cut back on that now. I got very burned out after that marathon, but I know if I do, they're still there. And sometimes when I'm just out for a walk, I feel Kevin more often than Terry, but very often they're both there.
0: Hmm. Have you had any other uh, after death communications experiences?
1: I've had one with a patient. I remember her very well. Her name was Shannon. She was a leukemia patient. Shannon was 24 years old, but mentally she was only about age nine. She never matured beyond that age. So, back in those days, when you came into the hospital for chemo, you were there for sometimes weeks at a time. You didn't, it wasn't done on an outpatient basis back then. And so, when Shannon came in, she was there for a long time and you know, she got to know the staff and all the nurses on the floor and she was just a playful little child really in a 24 year old's body. So sometimes she would come up behind us and give us those bear hugs from behind and cover our eyes and say, guess who, guess who? (laughs) And we would have to, you know, get play pretend that we didn't know it was her, you know, but well, this one particular night I had another dream and it was Shannon. And she came up behind me and bear hugged me and said, guess who, guess who? And I said, oh, Shannon, is that you? And she says, yeah, it's me. It's me. I'm like, it's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. So I've had those moments. I've had a couple of those actually with Shannon. Shannon and my daughter, while she was still alive, became friends because my daughter was nine years old at the time too. So they would pass notes back and forth through me And, you know, they got to know each other through notes and it was so sweet and so special. And, you know, I, I miss her quite a bit. And then, you know, I had another instance like that with my, my dear friend, Vern, he was another nurse on that same oncology unit. He thought he was having a gallbladder attack. He went to the emergency room, they worked him up. It turned out it wasn't gallbladder, but it was actually liver cancer. They took him to the OR to do biopsies, and he just never came off the ventilator after that, and it was devastating. I had worked with him for years; I was very close to him. He was almost like a father figure to me. And I remember when he it was not looking good for him; he was on the vent, he was unconscious. I wanted to go say goodbye to him, so I went to his room and I gave him a hug and I kissed him on the cheek and I told him I loved him and. He died shortly after that. Well, the very night he died, I am in my apartment and put the kids to bed, closing everything up downstairs, locking the doors. I go to turn the light off before I went upstairs. And as I reached out to turn it off, it turned off on its own. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was really weird. But I didn't think anything of it. And I start heading up the stairs. As I'm heading up the stairs, the light switched on again. And I'm like, what is that? So I went back downstairs. In my mind, I'm like, oh, it's just the short and the light or something. I went back downstairs to reach to turn it off. And before I could touch the light, it turned off on its own. So now I'm like, oh, and I said, I said aloud in the living room, Vern, if that's you, I'm glad you're okay, but you're starting to scare me. Cut it out. <laughs> and with that i went back upstairs and the light didn't come on again but i know that was him i know for a fact that was him
0: (laughs) i think and i wish
1: that i could had more control over when these things happen they just kind of happen spontaneously and not necessarily immediately after someone has passed away sometimes it's years sometimes it's a couple of days but most of the time it's years later i have these experiences and they're They're incredibly miraculous, and I wish I could have have them happen on command, but I haven't figured that part out.
0: You recently got a, a master's certificate in Reiki. Yeah. Talk a little about the spiritual aspects of Reiki.
1: Reiki is exchanging energy with another person in order to heal them. And it is... It's pretty magical to me because I can feel the energy in my hands when I'm sharing it with somebody else. I do it often for friends and family, but most often I do it for dogs, in particular, my dog. One of my dogs is paralyzed, and so he has some medical issues relating to his paralysis. And I've done quite a bit of Reiki on him. And, you know, he falls asleep every single time. I'm not even physically touching him but he, he will fall asleep every single time. And that's been pretty miraculous too. I've seen some pretty amazing things come from it as well. You know, I've seen him do things he might not have been able to do before. I've seen it stop muscle spasms that he gets. You know, I've done it to help him with urinary tract infections. It's been amazing. And I do it with close friends and family, but mostly with dogs. Yeah.
0: I have a friend who healed a dog from a scorpion bite out oh. in Arizona. Mm-hmm with Reiki. And he just did it day after day. I mean, the dog was very sick. was on the verge of dying and brought the dog back. Dog is quite elderly now, but is doing fine.
1: It's amazing. And it's not amazing at the same time, because I feel that our bodies are so capable of healing themselves. And when you exchange energy like that with another soul, there is so much that can happen in that exchange. There's so much Energy exchange is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing.
0: When you saw your angel at nearly 15, you said later that your daughter at three saw the same angel. Tell us about that.
1: Yes. One morning, she came running into my bedroom, so excited. Mommy, 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 I saw an angel. I saw an angel. Well, inside, I was so excited for her but I didn't want to squelch anything she might say or lead her in any direction. So I said, Oh, I said, so tell me, what did she look like? Tell me all about it. Oh no, mommy. It wasn't a girl angel. It was a boy angel. She described exactly that same angel that I saw when I was 14, about 18 years old, clean cut, blonde hair. The only difference between my angel and her angel is My angel was slightly larger than an average man. And her angel, she described as being teeny tiny and flying in (laughs) front of her face. And I said, well, what did he what did he do? Did he say anything? What did he want? She says, no, very nonchalantly. No, he was just checking on me before I went to sleep. And then he flew out the window. And to this day, she still remembers that. She's 32 years old. She still remembers that angel and that we share that specific angel. She's never seen him again. And I've never seen him again, but I know he's there. At at one point, I became so driven. I was determined to find an artist that could sketch him from description. I never was able to find anybody that could draw that angel for me. And so I kind of took it to mean, well, I'm not meant to have that depiction on paper. Maybe I'm just meant to have that memory, but I know he's still there. And I know he's still with my daughter and me.
0: Mm. What does your daughter make of that experience besides having something in common with you?
1: Well, she's a bit more of a skeptic than I am. She knows that my experience, she believes my experiences and the things that I've been through, and she believes that angel and still has that angelic memory, but she's, um, she doesn't really talk about it as much anymore. I'll, I'll, if I ask her about it, she'll still tell me details about it, but she, Mm -hmm. she thinks it's pretty cool that we shared the same angel too, because I had never talked to her about it before that point. You know, and as she got older and more able to understand, then she knew my story about my angel. And, and yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing that we share that same angel.
0: And it's uh, pretty amazing that the angel can size himself according to (laughs) the person he's meeting. So as not to, I mean, uh, if he'd been the size you saw him, probably would have scared uh, your, your daughter at three.
1: Yeah, she was just more, she was more um, just in awe of that. And and for her, it was kind of like she was a, a little, it was, it was childlike. Like she saw Thumbelina in her room or something, you know, it was so cute the way she came running in to tell me that, you know, and, and I, I don't, I haven't seen him again, but I know he's there, you know, and it's just been, it's been all of these experiences have been really amazing and they've carried me through some hard times you know you know everybody goes through hard times i don't have a fear of death anymore that experience when i was 14 completely erased all fear of death for me but you still are human and you still go through human trials and things throughout life but even through those things i know that this miraculous place exists and i know that one day that's where I'm going to wind up. And that's where we all wind up. You know, I, I don't doubt heaven. I don't doubt the afterlife. I don't doubt any of that anymore. And I never have ever since that moment. Like I said, I, I fear whatever pain may be associated with death, but I do not fear death and where we go afterwards because I don't feel like there, there actually is a death. I just believe that we just walk from one room into the next room. I just don't think that we're not ended. There's no ending to us at all. Yeah.
0: As a dog lover, you're probably familiar with the Rainbow Bridge story. Yes. What do you think of that? Do you think your pets join us when we're yes, on Yes, as a other matter side? of fact,
1: that brings me to another story, if I could share it with you. Of course. My little paralyzed dog, he and I have such a bond because I take care of all of his bodily functions. I do all of that for him. So you naturally develop quite a bond when you're doing that for someone.
0: His name is Cobb, right?
1: Cobb, yes. He was found in Cobb County, Georgia. So his name's Cobb. Okay. It was a stray. One night I go to bed and there I am having one of my dreams. In my dream, I am walking through that same green meadow with the grass. And it's just a lovely spring day. Walking through that meadow. And all of a sudden I feel a tickle on the back of my ankle. And I'm like, what is that? And I look down and there is my Cobb, able-bodied. He doesn't have his wheelchair. He's walking and scampering right along with me on all four legs. That was another one of those experiences. However, Cobb is obviously, he's still alive. He's not dead. But I know that I got a glimpse of what it will be like one day after both Cobb and I pass away. Because I know we will be running along in that meadow and there he will be, his little whiskers running touching my ankle as we walk along. Yeah, wow. that was another one of those experiences. And I actually wrote about that one. And that was one of those very real experiences where I knew we were in heaven and this is what's going to happen one day. Yeah, he'll be at the Rainbow Bridge when I get there.
0: <laughs> Do you have the sense that we'll be able to communicate with our animals on the other side?
1: 100 percent. Yes, I don't doubt that at all, especially after that experience with Cobb. That also, I remember asking him, what are you doing here? And we were communicating. I couldn't tell you the dialogue. I don't remember the dialogue, but I remember that he and I were communicating and just running Care 3 through this meadow and he's able-bodied and no longer paralyzed. And it was just, that was another one of those where I woke up crying (laughs) because I just was, it was such a beautiful moment. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Speaking of communication on the other side, I wanted to ask you earlier when the, the woman who was mentally nine years old and would sneak up behind you and say, guess who did that to you again from the other side, do you think she was still mentally handicapped or was she just having fun?
1: I think she was just having fun. There's no way. (laughs) There's no way that she was. I I don't believe that. I believe that she was fully restored completely to who she really was. But I think that that was her childlike nature coming through so that I would recognize that it was Shannon. Mm -hmm. And I did. And I felt her hug, too. You know, I felt her hands on my eyes and I felt her hug. And it's just so beautiful. I wish I could have this happen Anytime I wanted, because it's so amazing when it happens, you know, so amazing.
0: Yeah. Many people come back from uh, having a, had experiences like yours with a strong belief in reincarnation. I wonder how you feel about that.
1: You know, I go back and forth about that. I don't, I certainly don't discount it. I I believe that it is absolutely a possibility. I don't know for sure. If everybody reincarnates, I don't know how that works, but I certainly don't discount it at all.
0: And thoughts about the things that people talk about. You've probably heard several stories at this point about going into the light and Jesus greeting people on the other side and that sort of thing. What's your reaction to that?
1: Well, for me, since I did not technically die you know, I just had what I consider an out-of-body and after-death communications. I didn't actually die. Yes. I do know for a fact that I saw heaven, and I was I was absolutely 100% in heaven, but I did not see Jesus. I just saw the angel and the lady that was there, but I believe that when we die, that is exactly who we will see. I do believe that.
0: Mm. Do you think the lady that you saw was an angel, or was it a... A human spirit.
1: I don't believe she was human because I was in this heavenly realm. So I don't know if I should call her an angel or an escort. I'm, I'm not really sure what to call her. The, the male angel, I knew he was an angel. And and I don't know how I knew, but I knew he was an angel. I didn't see wings, nothing like that. I just was certain he was an angel. And she may have been, too. I I tend to think of her more as an escort of sorts because she's the one that actually took me to my grandfather. And she didn't have any kind of ethereal way about her. She was just like you and I. She was just a normal woman. But Mm -hmm. because we communicated telepathically, I knew that she was not just human. I knew she was somebody special because she was in heaven, you know. And I know nothing will ever convince me that that was anything more than a communication. I know I was with angels. I know I was in heaven. I think I got a glimpse of heaven. I don't think I saw anything near what it really is. I think I just saw the little piece that I needed to see when I was there and what I could absorb at 14 you know, I saw what I needed and that was it. But I do believe that when we die, there are other beings and Jesus. And, you know, I believe that we all will see that one day. But for me, for this experience, I think I just had a little piece of heaven and and got just my little escorted tour and that's all I was allowed to have. And I'm okay with that. It was enough for me to know that there is actually a heaven and we all wind up there.
0: Hmm. And you were drawn, you said, magnetically toward the gold castle.
1: Yep. It was started with a little footbridge going across a little Creek and, and it was, it was pulling me. I mean, I was bound and determined to get over there. And I still remember that feeling now that I wanted so badly to cross that bridge and get to that castle. And the minute her hand was on my shoulder, And she said, it's not your time. You can't go yet. The urge disappeared. But I knew, I knew that what, I knew what she meant. I knew she meant that I haven't died yet. So I can't go that direction yet. I knew that's what she meant. And that's how I knew that my visit to heaven was just a visit. And I was only seeing a little small piece of it and not an actual near-death experience. I just got what I needed what my 14 year old self needed out of that experience, but I've never forgotten it. You know, that was 41 years ago. And I still, to this day, remember what it felt like to be infused with all that knowledge. I don't have that knowledge, but I remember that feeling. And I, I still, when things come up, you know, tough times, everybody falls on them. I still remember that everything happens for a reason. Everything has a purpose and, It all will work out every time.
0: Speaking of which, it took you 41 years to want to tell your story to a larger audience such as ours. What kept you so long from doing that?
1: I don't know if it was fear of criticism, if it was, I I don't know. I've always held, especially that 14-year-old experience close to my heart. I've always considered it something very sacred very personal and very intimate to me and a gift to me. Like like I said, that was a gift from my grandfather. And so I've never felt a desire to share it with an, a wider audience before until recently. Last summer, I was able to share this experience with a group of about 30 or 40 people in a church, and it was very well received. And that kind of gave me a little bit more confidence to feel like, you know what, maybe it's time to share this with other people now too. You know, people need to know that death is not an ending. Mm -hmm. I feel like we need to hear this more and more. Death needs to be not such a taboo topic. And in, in our society, it is very taboo. People don't want to talk about it. And it's something people just don't want to have to deal with until the time comes. But I feel like if we talk about it more and we realize it's not this big, scary thing that nobody wants to talk about. I mean, it's a big elephant in the room, really, because it's the one thing we're all going to do one day.
0: Well, we're obsessed with death, actually, between uh, the shooting violence that goes on and people's different ideas about abortion and the catastrophes that are happening more and more on a regular basis because of the changing climate. I mean, death is in the news constantly, and yet people don't think through the fact that we go on afterwards, that this is not the disaster that it's painted to be, and that, in fact, perhaps some of these things are actually intended to happen in our lives and that we signed up for it beforehand.
1: Yeah, I do believe that we signed up for these things beforehand. I do believe that. It would be my hope, that we could change the subject of death from something morbid into something beautiful. You know, right after that experience happened with me at 14, there was no computers back then, you know, it was a card catalog in the school library is all I had. But I found myself voraciously reading, getting my hands on anything I could. And that's how I discovered Raymond Moody and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And, you know, I was reading all this stuff at 15 years old. And I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know what happened. I knew I didn't die, but I knew I went to heaven for sure. And, you know, started reading all kinds of stuff. So I've been on a lifelong research about this topic and anything related to all of this, because, you know, I feel like, you know, when you have something like this, and I think it happens more often than than we know, people just don't talk about it because it is such a sacred experience. But I feel like we need to take this from being so taboo to being more easily accepted talking about it.
0: Yeah. Well, as a chaplain, I've been with babies being born and I've been with people dying and the experiences are very similar. I mean, the soul coming into the body (laughs) and the soul leaving the body are both sacred moments.
1: Yes, they um, are.
0: And it's an honor to be present for either of those events.
1: It sure is. And that was, that. honestly, that was, I hate to say it, but that was the highlight of my career. If you could call it that, you know, was being able to be the person that the patient would reach out to and want to talk to about this. That was, and it's an honor to be at the bedside of somebody who is traveling from this world to the next, you know, they're closing their eyes here with us, but in the next life, they're opening them to pure ecstasy and bliss and It's such an exciting honor to be the person, to be present for them for that moment. Yeah.
0: Well, Joni, it's been an honor to have you sharing your uh, spiritually transformative experiences with us today.
1: Thank you uh, so uh, much.
0: If listeners would like to get in touch with you, how could they do that?
1: They can reach me at my email, jgomo, G-O-M-M-O at yahoo.com. I can be reached on Facebook, Joni Gomo, and they can also reach me on my dog's Facebook page, which is Cobb's Purpose, C-O-B-B-S Purpose. And I actually, on his website, I wrote about that experience of him and I in heaven as well. So Uh, you can find me at any of those places.
0: Terrific. And folks can also comment on the show site on our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Joni, thanks again. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 490, actually now more than 500, archived ad free NDE interviews, go to Talk Zone's NDE radio site and hit the past shows button or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.